there, I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC sits down with Tanner Emke of CoBank's Knowledge Exchange. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, or now on Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. Let's listen in as Casey and Tanner discuss some of the trade issues from the first half of the year and where we stand today, including the USMCA trade deal and tariffs on all Mexican goods, which President Trump ultimately called off after this podcast was recorded. Tanner is a pretty regular guest, and I'm thankful that he's on here. He's the uh, kind of one of my go-to economists uh, when I when I get him in there, and he's also from the great state of Kansas, so you can't beat that with the stick. So, Tanner, how you been, bud? That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. Good to be back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to have you, man. So, man, there's a whirlwind of stuff going since last time we talked. About two months ago or so, we talked and we chatted a little bit about stuff. And, you know, at that time, the uh, the China thing was kind of up in the air. Not that it's not now, but at least it can't get any worse than what it is uh, now. We can't really tariff anything else. We've kind of hit the, the max limit on tariffs over there. Um, but something else started to happen uh, since then, and, and that is the uh, kind of the rise of this weather market that we're seeing and uh, a lot of positive turn here in, in crop prices. But along with all that positivity in the commodity marketplace, there's a whirlwind of negativity surrounding all that stuff. So I want to get your opinion on what you see happening now compared to what you saw the first half of the year. And and, and if things kind of stay this, this path that we're seeing right now, going through the end of 2019, what, what's your opinion of, sure. of what, what's going to happen? Well, if you go back to the start of the year, uh, we were fight, fighting trade wars on multiple fronts. Uh, we were still, uh, USMCA was still up in the air. Uh, we had uh, the trade war with uh, China was getting further entrenched. Um, we had steel and aluminum tariffs on everybody, you know, including our allies, uh, Canada, Mexico, Europe, China. I mean, everybody got steel and aluminum tariffs and, of course, the retaliatory tariffs. Those were all in place. But we had some movement. Uh, on uh, the negotiation with uh, South Korea. And it appeared as though perhaps we might have some movement on Japan. And since then, things have gotten better. They did get better for a moment there. Uh, We had lifted the steel and aluminum tariffs on Canada and Mexico. And this was precisely the right move in the right direction. Uh, The Canadians and the Mexicans were saying, we're not going to pass UMCA until you lift the tariffs. And we were saying to them, no, you you have to pass US, USMC, USMCA first, and then we'll lift the tariffs. And um, so we had that just here recently. The, the tariffs were lifted on Canada and Mexico. Uh, and it, appear, it appeared as though we were gaining some really strong momentum in uh, finally passing USMCA, and we would have had that under our belt. You know, we would have had the negotiation with South Korea, chorus. Uh, that one knocked out. We would have had USMCA hopefully knocked out later this year. Uh, we, w- we would have been waiting on uh, the Canadians to pass through their par- parliament, Mexicans likewise. And in the United States, we were still wondering if perhaps uh, the Democrats might hold it up in uh, the House. The momentum, though, was moving in the right direction. And then yesterday, on Thursday, um, May 30th, I'm not sure when you're playing the podcast here, but we just took another five steps back. And uh, you, uh, or, uh, Trump uh, announced that on June 10th, uh, he's going to raise tariffs to 5% on everything uh, from Mexico. 
It doesn't matter what the product is. Every single import from Mexico into the United States can have a 5% tariff. And if they don't resolve the issue of uh, migrants crossing the border over into the United States, we're going to continue raising tariffs on uh, Mexico for every single month, I believe, I believe, uh, until they reach 25% by October 1st. So that's where we're at right now uh, with USMCA. Uh, a lot of people are concerned that now with tariffs again being slapped on Mexico, we can kiss that idea goodbye. That we had made progress, but that progress is no more. And what will happen, in, in fact, or what the concern is, rather, is that uh, the Mexicans will retaliate with even more tariffs than they had before. Now, this is going to be a huge problem, especially for U.S. pork. Uh, that's our major export destination. Uh, 40% of uh, all the hams we produce in this country go down to Mexico. And uh, they're our number one market right now outside of uh, because uh, China has dropped off so much. So now we're picking a fight again with our number one agricultural export destination, which is Mexico. That will likely result in you know, a more uh, complex uh, supply chain, more difficulty in us moving products down to Mexico, our agricultural products. And so the situation has only gotten worse uh, in that regard. Now take a look at China. Uh, it appeared as though we were going to have progress uh, when back earlier this year there was a deadline on March 1st. Well, we moved past that deadline, and it appeared though it appeared at that time that Trump was happy with the progress, and he says, "Well, we're just going to move the deadline back." Well, we moved the deadline back, we passed it again, and now no progress uh, with China. In fact, it appears as though uh, both sides, the U.S. and China, are becoming more and more entrenched, with there really being no uh, serious movement in resolution to the. Uh, the trade war with China. In fact, the Chinese appear, of the, appear to be uh, targeting uh, the precious metals or the rare metals that the U.S. imports for our semiconductors and you know things for iPhones, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's important because when we laid uh, tariffs on all these imports from China, that was the only thing we didn't uh, put a tariff on were these uh, rare earth metals. Well, now China knows that this is very important to us. Nine, because 90% of those rare earth metals come from China that we import. And so now they're threatening to use this somehow as leverage against the United States. So take this as a sign that things are not moving in the right direction, Casey. So things are moving backwards with China. Things are moving backwards with USMCA. So the momentum uh, has gone absolutely in the wrong direction. So where did we start from at the beginning of the year? was well, not a great a great position to start from. But as the year went on, it appeared as though we were making progress. Now all that progress is gone, and it appears as though uh, we are now heading into further and further entrenchment on both of those trade firms. Then you go take a look at what else are we finding. We've got uh, potentially a trade war that we're going to uh, increase with the Europeans. If we're going to increase tariffs on their automotives and uh, uh, airplanes and things like that, they're probably going to respond in turn with retaliatory tariffs on the United States, specifically in agriculture. So it appears as though that uh, our situation has, uh, has gotten worse, and there's really no sign that things are going to change um, anytime soon. So by and large, uh, I, I, wish I, could ha I wish I could have great news for you, Casey, but there's, on the trade front, 
uh, this has really uh, gone in entirely the wrong direction. Okay, so last time we were on, we, you talked quite a bit, quite extensively about the loss of market share that we have around the world um, it, with these countries that we're having trade wars with that have opened up new uh, new trade routes with other countries. So talk about that a little bit and where you see that going. Well, as long as we uh, remain entrenched in this trade war, the, uh, the Chinese are going to continue to source as many as much soybeans as they can from South America and replace soybeans with other oil seeds like sunflowers, uh, rapeseed, things like that, that they can pull from other countries out away from the United States. Wheat, they can pull that from other uh, locations. It's a globally traded crop. Uh, they can uh, source wheat, uh, a lot of wheat, a lot more wheat out of, out of Russia, perhaps, or other exporting regions, Europe. Corn, same thing there. Uh, they've got a lot of corn uh, sitting in inventory that they can uh, rely on. Same thing with wheat. The Chinese have a huge amount of wheat in reserves that they can pull from. Uh, they're still sitting on reserves of cotton. Really, the major uh, commodities, corn, wheat, soybeans, and cotton, China really does. China is in a position where they can replace the United States for the most part. Now, we would perhaps backfill into some other markets because remember, every bushel of soybeans that Brazil sends to China, they're not going to be sending to, say, Thailand or Indonesia or something like, or some other country like that. And so then we could backfill potentially some of those other markets. But the problem is uh, the Brazilians are expanding acreage. Uh, uh, they've got a very weak currency right now. Uh, Brazilian farmers are making a lot of money on corn and soybeans. They're making more money on cotton. And so they are expanding acreage across all the commodities. And once those acres come into production, they don't come out. The Brazilians aren't going to say, okay, uh, you know what? It's all good. Uh, all's fair. We're just going to go back to the acreage we had before. And the American, yeah, you Americans, you can have your markets back over in China. It doesn't work like that. Once those acres are in production, they stay in production. Once those trade routes have been formalized and those or those relationships have been formalized and the Brazilians and the Chinese become more comfortable trading throughout the year, we lose market share just because those uh, those trade routes have now become, keep using more entrenched, but that's kind of what happens. Uh, it's hard to undo those relationships uh, that, uh, that have become more commonplace now uh, outside of the U.S., but once these trade routes have been uh, moved away from the United States, it's really hard to get them back. And it could take a very long time to win back this market share. You know, we're looking at uh, China and Brazil. China's also increasing their relationships with other countries like Russia. They can pull oil seeds out of Russia. Right now, they've got a tariff on uh, uh, canola coming out of Canada because Canada has sided with the United States on this disagreement over Huawei. And, uh, and the Huawei executive that is currently being uh, in, uh, in custody, that is in custody in Canada. So that's been one wrinkle in all of this. But still, though, China is able to source uh, commodities from around the globe, uh, mostly by bypassing the United States. Uh, now, there's some concern that uh, with the problem with African swine fever, uh, that, the Af that the Chinese will be forced to import more pork because African swine fever has really purged their their sow inventory and all their millions of hogs have died over there. And so the thought is uh, that the United States could pick up a lot of that business. Well, we have, uh, but they're going to try to go outside of the United States for that business. First of all, uh, they're going to go to other sources like in Brazil with uh, with uh, Brazilian chicken. Uh, they're going to try to replace a lot of that pork with other alternative proteins outside of the United States. 
So again, we're missing out on increased earnings in our market share. The longer this trade war persists, the more market share we lose long term. And to try to win that market share back, there's only one way you can win it back is with lower export prices and superior service. And that has to be done over time. And right now, we're not going to get there uh, as long as we have this trade war going. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to continue to lose market share. Right now, uh, the Mexicans are looking uh, elsewhere for grain. Uh, they're going to be looking at pulling more corn and wheat out of Argentina. It, the effects are multi on multi fronts to where we start erosing, eroding our market share. And this is a really painful thing to see happen, especially in the times that we're in right now uh, with uh, so much uncertainty in the, in the planting season. We'll get back to Casey and Tanner in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. A quick break in the action to invite you to our annual Dealership Mind Summit. Check out this unique management event for farm equipment dealers only at www.dealershipmindssummit.com. It's a quick hit, two-day mastermind style summit that connects you to your peers of all colors. Come participate and learn from the very best minds in the ag machinery dealer world, all seeking solutions to your same challenges. www.dealershipmindssummit.com. Let's get back to the program now as Casey and Tanner discuss late planting and some critical soybean dates coming up. Tanner says between the trade issues, market facilitation payments, weather, and late planting, we're in uncharted territory this year in terms of what's going to happen. Okay, so that's a good segue into what my next question was then. So, okay, so we got all this information that's coming out right now on, you know, where record lows, I have a report someplace here on my desk, but it's something like 58%. Uh, is where we're at on planting progress goes uh, at, compared to where it should be something like 90 some percent this time of the year for corn. It's huge, right? It's, it's epic. We're two weeks Absolutely. Away, yeah. We're, we're two weeks away from hitting some some critical soybean dates uh, in certain areas and those same areas haven't turned a wheel yet to plant any corn so probably going to have a hard time getting some soybeans planted of any kind of magnitude but we, we can plant a lot real quick if we get the right conditions but in all these areas right, where, uh, yeah, all these areas that we're sitting at right now the next seven days is just rain, 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 and there's there's nothing changing there. So commodity prices have come up because now, you know, China's kind of out of the mix with that, with how kind of controlling the marketplace because again, it can't get any worse than what it is. So now they're focusing on the weather. Now we still have to raise a crappie regardless of if there's a trade war or not, right? And things yeah. are things are shaping up that we're not going to raise the crop that we thought, even if the stuff that's planted just simply because. The heat units may not be there to, to get the bushels that we need to have. So, so we're seeing some commodity price rise. But again, we're seeing like today, December corn closed somewhere around four forty-three or something like that, right in that area. Closed at four forty-three and three quarters, up okay. uh, sixty-two over almost sixty-three cents for the entire month, which is amazing. That, that's huge. That's that's, a, that's an amazing swing. Usually, it goes it swings the other way yeah. before it swings the, in the positive that way. Right. You know. So here we're looking at this. This prevent plant thing is getting to be a bigger deal. Some prevent plant payments may not cover just the simple 
cash rent that you see out there. And then on top of that, any of this MFP payments for tariffs and those kind of things, the prevent plant stuff, it's up in the air whether it's going to cover it or not and, and how many payments you're going to get and everything else. So I guess from, from an economic standpoint, when you look at all the stuff that's going on with the trade stuff, with, with this the corn crop being uh, planting, uh, planting progress and all the stuff that we see here, how is that going to play into all this? We're in unknown territory. I mean, this is record delays in planting. And so there's really no baseline of a year to compare to. Now, I've seen numbers out there uh, comparing uh, drought years and things like that to where we could be on uh, total crop size and what the index stocks number would be. And man, I mean, this is, as you said, you can plant a lot of crop in a pretty short amount of time because farmers today are so much more capitalized than we were decades ago. I mean, we can do a lot in just a few dry days. The weather forecasts aren't looking great right now. A little bit drier, but still, though, I mean, can uh, can we produce the cro- can we get the crop planted within two weeks? That's not looking likely. I mean, we're going to see there's still a lot of ponded fields out there, more wet weather in a lot of areas, and so the impact here would be twofold: one, uh, fewer acres; two, shorter growing season. So we're talking about, in theory, uh, yields below trend line, because as you mentioned, we don't, we're not going to get the heat units on it. And then, uh, you know, we're just an overall, uh, all the prevent plant acres. Now, the, where is that going to end up? I've seen estimates anywhere from 5 million acres of corn that go into prevent plant up to 15 million. That's a huge, huge uh, spread. I mean, if you're, t- you're going to take out, say, on the worst case scenario, 15 million acres of corn, Man, you're down below 80 million acres. That would be insane uh, to see that see so few acres. And I've already heard of uh, end users uh, booking Brazilian corn to barge up into the Mississippi uh, for later in the year because of the concern of what may happen that we just don't have a uh, corn crop or just don't have enough corn to go around. Now, I mean, that's uh, that would be a very extreme situation. Uh, but again, we don't have really have a baseline to go off of here other than looking at another extreme weather event, 2012. It was the opposite. It was extremely dry. And what happened? We had, we had a crop failure. And that's when uh, the price of corn went past $7. Are we going to be in that scenario this year? It is way too far in advance or way too early in the year to really talk about that because there's so much more growing season yet to go. We may have a delayed frost. First frost of the season may not come until much later in the year. And so you end up do getting uh, some growing, enough growing season to get a good yield. Or with prices as hard, high as they are, farmers get innovative and they, they get some, uh, you know, some, some short season corn and they still go after it and they plant that crop without, or outside of the, uh, the planting date for their insurance. There's that possibility. So it's really hard to talk around these numbers when there's so many unknowns. We're not going to know about uh, acreage, really, until we get our prospective uh, plantings number from uh, USDA at the end of June. And that'll be the first uh, objective data. We've got a few weeks to go yet before we start seeing what that looks like. But in theory, though, uh, if you want to just take the prevent plant estimates as a baseline of the volatility we, we could see for the year ahead, or for the season, growing season ahead, 5 million acres of prevent plant versus 15, there's a lot of unknowns what that says to me. Uh, and that means uh, the market, in the absence of information, can and will be quite volatile. 
And that's about, that's about the only thing we can say at this point. But we could probably assume planet acreage will be down. And we could safely assume, I think, uh, that uh, if we don't get uh, the growing season that we, if we just have a normal growing season in a shortened time frame because of the late planting, then we could probably assume that overall yields will be slightly down. But to put any numbers on it at this point is really early. Uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't want to venture a guess, obviously, at this point. So what do you think? If, if here, here we are, today's date is May 31st, and we go through the summer, and we start running into more of this, you know, same same song, kind of the same dance, same thing that we've been doing here back and forth. What kind of effect is that going to have on, on rural America as far as economically, right? If, if there is a... You know, we kind of roll in the same thing with the soybeans. I mean, I'm not. It's way too early to start talking yeah, about right. the soybean, this, that, and other thing. But you know, you're two weeks away from hitting some soybean dates, like I said earlier. And in those same areas, yeah. that's two weeks away. They haven't planted any corn yet either. So, what are the odds of them planting some soybeans? You know what I mean? I mean, like, there's a lot yeah, of stuff that can have, change well, that. But yeah, I mean, it depends. I've heard of uh, up in North Dakota, for instance, uh, farmers who may not be able to plant beans may go to spring wheat. So we may pick up some uh, some wheat acres, uh, or if you can't get uh, corn in, perhaps you can go to, you know, perhaps go to soybeans or go to something like sorghum, which can be planted in June. There's always an alternative. It may not be better, but it's always there's always an alternative. Farmers will find a way to get innovative. I'd say what what concerns me really at this point is when you have a lot of farmers who are financially distressed. Now add on the uncertainty of this year's growing season and how uh, bizarre it has become with all this rain that we've gotten in the delayed planting. Now add in the extreme uncertainty of the trade situation. Now add in these MFP payments that we don't know about or how they're going to be delivered or who, uh, who's going to get what that are supposed to be paid out of this, uh, this other $16 billion in addition to the last $12 billion that Trump paid out. All of this uncertainty, it's, it's, it's got to be causing migraines across the Midwest. I mean, how do you, how do you go, how do you plan for the year uh, when you've got all this uncertainty? It's really hard. Uh, in addition to the financial stresses that are already out there. So this is, this, you know, this is just kind of a, you know, a, a huge pileup of uncertainty all at one point. And I don't know if there's ever been a time in history where we've seen this much uncertainty colliding all at once. I mean, it's really causing a lot of problems uh, throughout the grain trade, especially for, for farmers and ranchers, obviously, but up and down the supply chain. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's rumors out there of uh, end users booking Brazilian corn to bring it into the United States. It's everybody who's going to end up paying for it and paying for all this uncertainty. So. Obviously, the impact is not a positive one uh, for the rural economy, and it's not a positive one for the agricultural economy. I would say the upside here, prices have responded because of all this uncertainty. We've seen just on corn, you know, corn prices are up over 60 cents for the month. No soybeans are up 30 cents. Uh, Wheat's up over, you know, like 75 cents. I mean, these are across-the-board gains that if you're able to get a crop in, this is a nice way to profit. If you can get your crop in, this is, this is a gift. Take it. Take some money off the table uh, if I were a farmer. You know, standing back further and looking at just the agriculture, ag economy at large, there are going to be some uh, farmers out there who benefit from this. 
this is going to be the gift that they needed or the, 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 the price run up that they were able to take advantage of. But unfortunately, there is a reason why prices are high, and that's because of the great uncertainty. And there's a lot of farmers who unfortunately aren't going to be able to, uh, to benefit from it. So it's going to be a mixed bag probably across the uh, ag economy. But one thing is for certain, uh, all of the uncertainty is not good for business. Uh, markets hate uncertainty. And uh, unfortunately, that's what we have in spades right now. The, the market is showing it by, by this huge swings in volatility that we've seen over the last this week. You know, I mean, up until Wednesday, basically, we'd, we'd watch the markets just go up and up and up and up and up. And then they were going so such big day over day gains. I was starting to kind of get like, all right, we, there's going to be a just calm down a little bit here. And sure enough, on Wednesday, um, this week, we saw almost a 30 cent reversal in the markets, which then it all came back the next day, though. And it was right back to where it was. And then it's fallen off a little bit today because of stupid Mexico. Yeah, the volatility thing. is not going away. It's getting worse. Yeah, it's getting worse. So with all that being said, what what is your has your outlook changed at all in on since we talked last last time on, on how you see 2019 going into 2020? Well, I'd say, um, again, going back, there's so many unknowns, but I'd say when you look at all these the reason why we had the run-up in prices is because of uh, a lot of negative factors coalescing all at once, and uh, you know, with weather and trade, and uh, well, those factors right here in, in here in this last week with uh, with Mexico that has not been a positive, and so I would say my outlook has been dimmer, and I wouldn't think that uh, I, I would be an outlier at all by saying that for all the, those of us who follow the ag economy and the grain markets uh, and the commodity markets at large. And um, I don't think I would be out, out there uh, by myself by saying that the outlook has become a lot dimmer. Uh, in fact, when you look at uh, uh, USDA came out with their trade outlook this, uh, this week, and the ag trade outlook, and it's, their outlook is a lot more pessimistic than it was uh, than at the beginning of the year. And so I just take that as Yet another uh, another indication that we're moving in the wrong direction. Obviously, some of this can be you know is our own doing, uh, so to speak. You know, we caused a lot of these problems just with policy. And when I say we, I mean uh, these are human invented factors. There, the weather delays are one thing, but when we are when we're actively destroying our markets abroad, that's not a positive, obviously, on commodity prices in the U.S. And when those problems or when those negotiations continue to go in the wrong direction, all you can assume is, well, I guess if we're going to continue status quo, uh, this is going to be a further drag on the ag economy in 2019. And this is precisely coming at the wrong time when farmers are already dealing with such a stressful financial situation uh, and a stressful planting season. Now you add in the trade situation and this is just an unreal coalescing of events that really just, there's no way to look at the positive on this. Now, as we talked about earlier, some people will benefit from higher prices. Some people, if they got a crop, then they're going to benefit. Uh, but on the whole, on the macro view for the ag economy, uh, this, these are three things that just are not a positive for the ag economy. And unfortunately, I think a lot of other people out there that are following in agricultural uh, finance and things like that uh, in the ag economy, um, it's probably going to end up being a worse year, even if farmers uh, accept payments uh, from uh, you know, from the trade war. You know, with $28 billion now uh, planned to be paid out to farmers, that's still not going to make up for the losses economically from trade. 
Sorry for the bad news, Casey, but really there's not a positive story here yet. No, you're, you're really not telling me anything I didn't already know. I just thought maybe you'd tell me I'm wrong, but so you're you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're telling the same story I kind of had in yeah, my head there's, there. Uh, there's not a lot to cheer about. No. In certain areas, if you're in one of those areas where, where you know, commodity prices, you got to crop in, the commodity price is going to work out for you and you're going to you're gonna benefit from that, it's going to be aces. You know, it's going to be great. Unfortunately, sure. the areas that aren't that are either on on the bubble or um, not going to raise a crop, it's going to be tough for them. And, and I think that's going to be more than not this year. It's going to be something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's one of those years where even if you're lucky enough to get a crop in and benefit from good price, you uh, from an improved price over the last month. You know, can uh, you know what's going to happen with the trade situation long term? These can be systemic problems that haunt us for many years down the road. That's the longer term view here that we're paying a penalty now and we will probably continue paying penalty for much longer, unfortunately. These things can continue to haunt us for many years down the road. One other thing I want to talk about before we before we head out, and that is I've been watching the cotton market here pretty close over the last uh, two or three months. And there's volatility starting to creep in that market. You know, you look at Georgia, what's happening out there. It's dry as a bone right now, hot and dry. It's, it's, it's uh, they're in a bad shape. Talked to some guys down in Texas, having some hard time getting their cotton to, to come out um, down there. So, it, and it's wet, pretty wet across the, uh, the deep south through the Delta and all that other stuff. So, but cotton's a little bit different when it comes to that because it's, it's more of an economically driven commodity just because it's you know clothes and, and the stuff that they use to make it with um it's not really a food you don't really eat cotton right so and all of the equities are like closer right right so every time i turn on any of these business news channels whether it's fox business or msnbc or whatever it is I, bloomberg whatever it is i hear over and over again how we just missed a recession well i don't know if that you really just miss a recession i don't know what that's there's near misses when it comes to that kind of stuff but the cotton market has been that one kind of staple over the last three years for sure that has been a, a bright spot in, in agriculture. So when you look at the sure. global economy and how that's going to affect cotton, what's your feel on that? Well, um, I'm glad you bring that up. You know, what happens in the global economy has a strong impact on what happens uh, to cotton prices. Uh, because if you just took, for instance, cotton prices versus the value of the U.S. dollar, there's a very, very strong correlation. Uh, cotton is, because it's uh, so tied to the, uh, the macro economy, uh, it's hypersensitive to the value of the U.S. dollar. And when the value of the dollar is going up, the value of or the cotton prices typically are going to be going down. Now, there's a lot of uh, other factors, many other factors going on there uh, influencing prices. But in the macro view, a strong dollar is very bearish on cotton prices. Uh, so now add in a uh, slowing U.S. economy. The projections are for the U.S. economy uh, to slow quite a bit uh, from where we started from the beginning of the year. Uh, the, last, uh, the last quarterly growth figures for the United States were very strong, over 3% growth, which was amazing. But if you take that apart and look at it, a lot of that was because of inventory buildup because companies were afraid of the trade war. Um, and so once those inventories run out and we see that uh, economic growth was not what is not going to be so great for the end of the year uh, through, through the rest of 2019 anyway, that's going to be bearish, obviously, on cotton prices. Now, take into consideration what's happening in the global economy. Uh, the Chinese economy is slowing because of the trade war, and uh, that's going to have impacts around the world. There's concern here that 
if the China, that a slowdown in the Chinese economy would be somewhat of a contagion around the rest of the global economy because everybody is, you know, uh, trading with China as well, you know, especially the Europeans. Uh, a, a drag in the Chinese economy could drag down the European economy. At the same time, the Europeans are dealing with Brexit. Uh, in October is the, the final drop-dead date for uh, Brexit. We don't know how that's going to turn out. Is it going to be a, is Britain going to be leaving uh, uh, the European Union uh, with no trade agreement? That would be bearish on that economy as well. Or uh, that would be a drag on their economic growth that could push them into recession perhaps. So globally, if we're looking at slowing economic growth and perhaps slowing economic growth here in the United States, what's that, what that means then is that's going to, those two factors combined are going to be a drag on cotton. And right now there's all, there is no shortage of cotton. So you've got two culminating factors here. You've got strong cotton production, slowing global economy. This is not a good combination, unfortunately, for cotton. They've they've had a streak of good years, but this may be the year where things turn south on. Again, you were supposed to reassure me that I was wrong there, Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's um, a, a, again, we can't paint everything with such a broad brush. I mean, there mm-hmm. are going to be you know a lot of people out there who do just fine. Uh, if you were a farmer who's hedged, or if you're a farmer who had, who's coming into the situation with no debt, these are the situations where you shine as a manager. Now yep. you're getting into all this, you know, farm economic talk, and we don't need to go to, go that far. But broadly speaking, for the uh, for the agricultural economy, you know, cotton prices have been in continual decline now uh, for many months. If the outlook for the U.S. economy and the outlook, the weaker outlook for the world economy, are in any indication. Uh, it looks like that would be a drag on cotton prices as well. Awesome. Well, hey, you're you're kind of reassuring me here what I, what I thought was kind of happening, what was coming down the pike, just based on what I'd seen in conversations that I've had with other folks here. So, Tanner, it's always uh, it's always awesome to have you on the podcast. Any last thoughts you want to throw out there before we shut it down? Oh, I'm sorry. Say it again, Casey. I just saying it, it, it's always a it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, man. So, if there's any any last thoughts you want to throw out before we shut it down. Well, I would say, um, oh boy, I wish I, I was trying to end on a positive note, but uh, unfortunately, I can't find one right now. Um, <laughs> Notice. <laughs> I would say that uh, when you always look at the long-term history of uh, any economy or any market, uh, you always got to remind yourself of one fact: good times don't last, but neither do bad times. Right. That's a good point. Everything's a cycle, and we'll eventually, this will all cycle out. This is just going to be a bad memory. Yep. No, that's, that's very true. Very true. All right, Tanner, well, if folks want to reach out to you and ask you questions or pick your brain or something like that, how would they do that? Uh, they can go to the CoBank website. Uh, it's CoBank.com, or they can uh, feel free to send me an email, T-E-H-M-K-E, CoBank.com. Right on, man. Well, Tanner, it's uh, good to good to talk to you again, and uh, take care of yourself, and I will uh, see you for sure in Nashville at the uh, Moving Iron Summit there, but uh, if I don't talk to you before that. Sure thing, Casey, anytime. All right, bud, thanks. Thanks, Casey and Tanner. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all of our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I'd encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash SVExpert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer to it on our SVExpert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions 
It's all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably. Well, Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. You can keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Tanner, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.